When you're a kid or a teenager, you grow in spurts. And because of COVID and because of the lockdown, so many of you kids and teenagers, you've come back and we don't even recognize you. You've grown a foot. You've gone from a toddler to a preschooler or from a middle schooler to a young man or a young woman. And uh, I grew in spurts too. My last growth spurt was actually in college, which meant that when I was in junior high and when I was in high school, I was shorter than all the other boys, shorter than all the other young men. And I was also a, a nerd, a straight-A student, a band kid. And my freshman year of high school, there was another young man who was two years older than me. He was a junior when I was a freshman. And he took a shining to me in the sense that he wanted to torment me. So in the hallways, in between classes, he would shout out names to me loud enough so that everybody else could hear. And then uh, he would fill this Joy dish bottle soap uh, a bottle with water, and he would have it in a backpack. He was the only kid at that time in the 80s who wore a backpack, right? And he would pull that out, and he would see if he could soak my jeans in between classes. And uh, I took it. I took it. Every insult, every burst of water, I never said anything back. Uh, I never lashed out. But on the inside, on the inside, I was seething. I was mad. Um, if I had had the power to take him in a fight, I would have beat him into the ground. Uh, he was my enemy. I've been watching a lot of NCIS lately, stuck at home, right? And it's one of the crime shows that you can watch. And Every episode, a soldier is murdered. Sometimes it's a man soldier, sometimes it's a woman soldier. But about every 15 episodes, the, the criminal investigators will ask the husband or the wife of the dead soldier, did they have any enemies? And they'll say, oh, no, no, everybody loved Lucy, everybody loved Doug. And then later in the episode, you find out, nope, not true, not true. Someone hated them enough to do them in, to kill them. Now, we don't tend to think that we have real enemies, and we don't tend to think that we serve as someone else's enemy. Uh, but I want to give you a, a definition of that. An enemy is someone who uh, wants to do you ill, wants to do you ill, or actually works to do you ill or do you harm, okay? Okay. Um, an enemy in the Bible, the word for enemy simply means one who hates or one who harms another. And by this definition, some of you have enemies in your extended family, don't you? Shh. Some of you may be sleeping with the enemy. Shh. Now, this to me is ironic because in America today, in America today, one group of Americans looks at another group of Americans as the enemy. You're my enemy. Uh, and so maybe you don't, maybe you realize this already, but if you were to make known how you really feel about the pandemic or how you really feel about Trump or how you really feel about race, there would be a lot of people that'd be upset with you, wouldn't you? Wouldn't there? And those people would call you out and those people would hate you for what you had to say about those particular issues. Between now and the second week of December, I want to revisit our church's values, and you'll find them on the walls here in the sanctuary. 
And I kind of want to revisit them in light of COVID and the pandemic and everything that we've been through. And today, I want to start off with that one on the back, live like Jesus is king. Live like Jesus is king. If you're going to live like Jesus is king, you're going to be a lover and not a hater. And if you're going to live like Jesus is king, you're going to have to learn to love your enemies. You're going to have to learn to love your enemies. And so I want to walk us through Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36 today. Luke 6, 27 through 36. Jesus is teaching here, and he says this. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If, if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money to those, only those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Now, some people read this and they say, well, now, if a murderer or a rapist comes into your home, do nothing. Or they'll say, if, a, if you live in a particular country and another country's invading army comes in, do nothing. Like, you know, if you're in Poland and it's 1939, I guess we're Nazis now. I'm like, I can't do anything. Jesus told me to turn the other cheek. Now, I understand there are good reasons for pacifism in the Bible, but I don't think Jesus is saying that here. And I have to give uh, New York City pastor Tim Keller a lot of credit. He helped me see this passage in a way I never really saw it before. And so I want to unpack some things about what Jesus is saying and what maybe Jesus is not saying. And it starts with Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. The prophet says this, and, and we love to put this on our coffee mugs, on our bumper stickers. There are churches in the United States today that have this as their slogan, Micah 6, 8, okay? Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, there's a balance here between toughness and tenderness, toughness and tenderness. The tough part is the do justice part. If you're going to do justice, you're going to have to confront evil. You're going to have to confront people. You're going to insist on change. That's tough. And then there's this love mercy. Now, when the Bible says love mercy, it doesn't mean it the way Facebook means it. If I put the picture, it's, you know, in Facebook world, if I put the word mercy up, everybody's like, 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 I just love that word mercy, don't you? I just could camp out at mercy all day. It's not talking about a feeling. When the Bible says love mercy, it means show mercy. Be merciful to other people. And so there's this balance between toughness and tenderness. In the life, 
in ministry of Jesus, we see a call to revolution and we also see compassion and mercy. Uh, there's a balance between the two. So what is Jesus is saying and what is Jesus perhaps not saying when he says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Now we're fortunate because we have today with us Don Tippy. Don is an instructor. You didn't know I was going to single you out, did you? In a recorded message, no less. And so Don is an instructor in the uh, dark art magic of Taekwondo, right? Taekwondo. I got Tung, Tung Sudo. Okay, I always get that messed up. Tung Sudo. So Don, I just want to confirm for all the people here, let's say that I had, a, I had an issue with David Potter or maybe even Paul Southgate. Got bigger guys than me. I mean, they got... They got mass and velocity on their side, okay? And if I, if I, wanted, to take, if, if I wanted to take one of them out, I mean, I really put them on the ground, I'd just slap them on the cheek, right? Wouldn't be your first choice. Would it be in your top five choices? Would slapping them on the cheek to neutralize them as a threat be in your top 100 choices? No, no. See, so when Jesus uses this uh, description of, turn the other cheek and being slapped on the cheek, he's talking about an insult, an insult. Your reputation, your honor has been dented or dinged and turn the other cheek. Now, for many years, I thought this meant be a doormat. I did. I thought it meant be a doormat. Um, let people walk all over you. Apologize for things that aren't your fault. Um, and I got, uh, I reached a season in my life where I actually congratulated myself for high school not standing up to that bully. Max Vanderpool, good job. Good job for you. You turned the other cheek. You were just like Jesus. He didn't see it. He didn't understand it. But whoa, good job, Max. And in ministry, uh, I learned this. Uh, I, I was mentored by Pastor Steve in my early days. And he would take me along on car rides and invite me into his office and Pastor Steve, because of the type of personality he had, he would always be catching it from somebody in the church. Somebody in the church would be really mad at him for something, a decision or something that he had done. And, and so I would go into his office, and he would be sitting down, and the person would come in, and it was like they had a metaphorical, emotional, verbal violin that they would take out of a suitcase, and they would start talking to him, and they would go... Let me tell you what you are, Pastor Steve. And I would be like, oh, oh, you know, just traumatized by what was going on. And he would just take it. He would say nothing. And at the very end, he would apologize. Whether he'd done anything right or wrong, didn't matter. I'm so sorry, he would say. And so I thought, well, that's it. That's the way to do things. But I don't think the Jesus that's presented in the Gospels is a doormat, do you? I don't think the Jesus that we see in the Gospels is a doormat. I do think he's someone who had the right balance between tenderness and toughness. Tenderness and toughness. So what is a slap on the cheek? It's an insult. It's a ding or a dent to your honor. And we see this not being a doormat in the life of Jesus. In uh, John's gospel, John tells us that when Jesus was on trial at the house of uh, Caiaphas, one of the temple guards strikes Jesus. And listen to, what, listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus says this, and it's in John 18. If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. 
But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? You see, he didn't just sit there and take it. He, with his mouth, he said, you know that what you're doing is wrong. You shouldn't have done that. And I know it, and I'm calling you out for it. He didn't strike back, but he also displayed that kind of toughness in the moment. The Apostle Paul does something similar in Acts chapter 16. Paul is wrongly beaten and arrested, and the officials find out he's a Roman citizen, and now they're like, oh my goodness, we got to get this guy out of town. Like, you know, we need to sweep this under the rug. This isn't good. And Paul says this, he says, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. We're Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Oh, no, no, no. You let them come here to release us. Paul's basically saying, you're in trouble, and you know it. <laughs> and you shouldn't have done that. Paul had this balance between tenderness and toughness. Now, the human heart has a tendency to respond to enemies, to threats, to being harmed in a number of different ways. And one way is the passive way. And this was my way most of my life, the passive response. You just take it, you just take it, you just take it. You let them say whatever they're going to say. You swallow it, you take it, you take it, and you just take it ad nauseum, at one, at right after another. It could be a parent or a family member who's constantly berating you, constantly belittling you. It could be a, so, a friend of yours, so-called friend, and they're stabbing you in the back and gossiping about you with other people and you just take it and you just take it and you just take it. The problem with that approach though is that often on the inside, what's on the inside is totally different than the taking it part on the outside. Because on the inside, you're seething mad. You're furious. You want to hurt them. Jesus in this same sermon calls out people who are mad and angry on the inside. He says, look, you're congratulating yourselves. You're patting yourselves on the back because you haven't murdered anyone. But on the inside, you're full of anger and contempt and hatred for someone else. You're no different. You're no better. You've, you've murdered them in your heart. It's the same thing. It's no different, he says. So why would he say it's different here, right? Being passive on the outside while on the inside wishing them dead. <laughs> That's not loving your enemy. Now, the other way to respond is the vindictive response. So you have somebody who's out to get you or they've treated you wrong or they've stepped on your foot, and guess what? They're going to catch it. They're going to get the full speech. They're going to wait, brace for it, brace for impact, baby. Here it comes, right? And you go at them and you tell them how what a terrible person they are and, and the, the fight and the, and the barrage continues. And that's another way to respond and then another way that we tend to respond. So there's this passive response and then there's this vindictive response. And neither one satisfies what Jesus is saying to us in this passage. My favorite is the combined response. <laughs> this, is, this is some dads in America. So they take it, 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 and then it's like a nuclear explosion. It takes out 50 miles in any direction. <laughs> you don't know it's coming Dad finally hit, boo, the gasket blew. He took it till he couldn't take it anymore. So it's this combination response. And you explode all over them and everybody because you, you couldn't take it. So Jesus wants us to combine truth-telling, this justice part, with peace and forgiveness part, which is an inside thing. It's doing justice while at the same time showing mercy. 
when you turn your other cheek, you're actually loving your enemy. You're actually inviting them into a new kind of relationship. And they may not walk into it. They may, they may not change the way they need to change. But it's an invitation nonetheless. We see this time and time again in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's the woman at the well who says to him, you know, I've had five husbands. And he says, oh, you, you know, you're right about that. And the man you're with right now, he's not your husband either. His finger was right on her tender spot, like right there. That was his finger. Ugh, that hurts, Jesus. But there was also mercy and compassion. And she goes into town and she says, you got you to meet this guy at the well. Uh, it's the woman caught in adultery. Where are your accusers, right? And they've all left. Go and sin no more. Uh, it's the, the tax collector from Jericho, the wee little man, Zacchaeus. And he says, I've defrauded all these people. I've been a liar. I've cheated them out of money. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. So it's this tenderness and toughness. That's the only way we can love our, our enemies. Uh, a lot of times they see it play out when somebody says, uh, sets what they call a boundary. Psychologists call it setting a boundary. I've had friends that uh, have said something, version of this to one of their parents. Dad, I'm not going to let you talk to me that way anymore. I'm not going to let you treat me that way anymore. I'm not going to let you talk to me that way anymore. And when you're talking to mom that way, I'm going to leave the room. But I'm hanging up now. I love you. I care about you. But I'm not letting you talk to me this way. Click. Now, the dad on the other end of the phone is like, what a terrible kid that is, and you hung up on me and, you know, all this stuff, but it's that toughness and tenderness right there. You still love them and care about them as a person, but you're also the doing the justice part and truth-telling about what is reality. So let me ask a question, and this question is one that po uh, Henry Nouwen poses in his book, In the Name of Jesus. All the church attendance, all the discipleship classes, all the stuff that you've done to, quote, follow Jesus, has following Jesus made you a more loving person? That's a good measuring stick right there for any of us. Has following Jesus made me a more loving person? I want to suggest three ways that we can love our enemies, all right? Three ways that we can love our enemies. First of all, you see them as real people. Real people. Uh, put yourself in their shoes. This, by the way, does not happen online. Online, you are just a 200 by 200 pixel profile picture, and the most depersonalizing, dehumanizing things will happen online. People will call you the scum of the earth online. They will treat you in the most despicable ways online because you're not a person online. You're this pixelated picture. You're nothing more than that. And they're going to go for the jugular and they're going to step on your neck and they're going to do everything they can to you. Online is incredible. I've, I've encountered this uh, firsthand. Uh, again, in August, I prayed. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but it's the South. You live in the South. Do you know this? So in the South, we do two things before school board meetings, city commissioner meetings, magistrate meetings. We pray to the baby Jesus and we say the Pledge of Allegiance. And we do those things before every meeting. So all the pastors in town, we take turns praying at these meetings. And we sign up a year at a time. And I had signed up for the August school board meeting this year. And I knew there was one thing on the docket. The volleyball team had gone to state finals. Yay, go volleyball, right? And they were all there in their uniform. 
So they said my name three times because they also asked me to lead the pledge. So everyone knew my name when I, you know, when I, before I prayed. And I just, this was one of my heart that night. This is what I prayed. Basically, it was like, you know, God, the teachers are, you know, want, they want to perform up here and they, they're, they feel like they're performing at a level two and they want to be a level 10 and they're beating themselves up. You know, help them to be merciful to themselves. Students miss each other. They want to be together. They want to have their life in the prom and everything else and, you know, help them. And we parents, we're crotchety. I'm crotchety. Like, we're itching for a fight and, you know, we're not, help us to be kind to one another. And I, I left. I did not know that there was a group of parents that were there that night to, to give the board what for over mask policy. And my Facebook blew up all evening. I got messages from the people there and then the people they told. You're not going to believe this pastor who came in. He told us, be kind. Oh, how dare you? I had people telling me, how dare you? What kind of man of God are you to come in there and pray a prayer like that, right? And they were shouting at that pixel. They wouldn't have, <laughs> they wouldn't have said that to my face in that room, but later that night, boy, I, I caught it big time on Facebook, okay? So, so see your enemies as real people. And I want to suggest a place, to, a place to start is, for those of you whose parents are still living, start with your parents. When I had my first kid, I was bound to determine that I was not going to make the same mistakes my parents did. I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be a better father. Some of you have made the same vow. <laughs> and as it turns out, you may not make their mistakes, but you'll make your own. Let me say that again. <laughs> you may not make their mistakes, but you'll make your own, okay? And so... One of the things that you can do is see your parents for who they are. And if you don't know this, ask your parents about their childhood. Ask your parents about the op major obstacles they had to face in their life. And it humanizes them a little bit. Um, and so that's a place to start. Uh, because when we're kids, we see our parents as heroes. Like they're Superman, they're Wonder Woman. And then when we become a teenager, we're like, oh, my goodness, you need to go see a therapist. What is your problem, Mom? What is your problem, Dad? Get with the program. Ah, can't it, you know. So just understand that that's kind of how the arc happens. But, but see your, seeing your enemy as a human being is a huge step. So see them as real people. So how can I humanize this person? The second thing is forgive. I've taught a lot about forgiveness, and you can listen to, you know, other sermons. There are many things that forgiveness is and is not, but forgiveness always starts with a decision that you make. I am deciding that this person who has wronged me, has hurt me, has taken whatever it is from me, they don't owe me anymore, and it starts with that decision. If you've got bitterness in your heart about an enemy, about somebody who's wronged you, You've invited them into your life and they're, con they're controlling everything because they're on the inside of you calling the shots, okay? So forgive. And then lastly, pray for them by name. Don't do the Harry Potter prayer. Oh, Lord, I want to talk to you about he who shall not be named. Don't do the Harry Potter prayer. No smiting prayers. I know the Psalms are full of smite them, oh God, you know, confound my enemies. But... Resist the urge for smiting prayers only because we follow a man who went to the cross. If there was ever a moment for a smiting prayer, can we just acknowledge it was when Jesus was on the cross and he could have and maybe should have said, oh God, 
lay waste to the Roman Empire. These people are idiots. And, and as for your people, the Jews, let's start over. They clearly do not understand the concept of love. It, I mean, if ever there was a call and a moment for a smiting prayer, it was where Jesus was on the cross. But what does he pray? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Okay? So pray for them. When you pray for your enemy by name in that way, and you're praying for the good of your enemy, what you're going to find is that your heart starts getting changed. It's what happens when people matriculate into the generation's family and they start giving money regularly. What happens is they start pulling, you know, Max, is the church okay? Does the church need anything? Is the church doing okay? And they're concerned at a level they weren't concerned before. And, it, and it's, it's, Jesus spells it out when he says, look, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And he, they're linked. And so what happens to people with money and giving is the same thing that happens with you and me when we start praying for our enemies in that way and we're praying for their good, our heart changes. It changes us, even if it doesn't change them. And let's be honest, many of our enemies need some transformation, don't they? Amen. <laughs> for those of you that know me well, you know I have some pictures of heroes in my church office. And one of those pictures is a portrait of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. tells a story about Abraham Lincoln in his sermon that he delivered in Montgomery, Alabama, called Loving Your Enemies in, on November 17th, 1957. So this man is preaching a sermon to these people, and he's saying, look, you got to love your enemies. Jesus wants you to love your enemies. The very people who are denying you access to the voting booth, the very people who are telling you to get to the back of the bus, the very people that you work for during the day, and they won't even let you use their own bathroom. Those people who are coming into your homes at night and taking your fathers and your sons and hanging them on a tree. I want you to love them, okay? And he delivers this message in November of 1957. And he tells this story about Abraham Lincoln, and it's a true story. I love this. So Abraham Lincoln, put a picture up of him. Can we acknowledge, looking at this picture, that this man, if he were alive today, would never be a YouTube celebrity. Can I get an amen? This is a homely guy. He is not going to be an Instagram model, okay? He's not going to be modeling clothing for The Gap or whatever's in right now, right? He's homely, okay? So when he ran for president in 1860, there was another man named Edwin Stanton who was a little bit more well-known and Edwin Stanton went all around the country, city by city, telling people this. You do not want a tall, lanky, ignorant man like this as president of the United States. And to add insult to injury, Edwin Stanton referred to Abe Lincoln as the original gorilla. That was his epitaph, okay? Lincoln wins the election... And guess who he selects to be his secretary of war? Edwin Stanton, the man who said all those things during the election. And people came to him and said, Mr. Lincoln, do you, do you not know what Mr. Stanton has said about you? Have you not heard the names he has called you? And Mr. Lincoln said, oh, yes. In fact, I've had him tell those things to my face. But he's the best man for the job. So they get into it and, you know, civil war and everything else. And when Lincoln is assassinated, Edwin Stanton says of Lincoln, no greater prince has ever walked among men 
Now he belongs to the ages. Same guy. See, loving your, if Lincoln had taken the tact that politicians take today, Lincoln would have said, oh, original gorilla, let me tell you what you are, buddy. I'm going to tweet that right now. I'll lay waste to you. But Lincoln didn't. And it had a transformative effect. I want to leave you with one verse from Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Living like Jesus is king means loving your enemies. And I've laid out some practical ways that you and I can do that. But the reason that we do this is because God loves us. I don't know if you know this, but we don't tend to think of ourselves as enemies of God, which is probably not great because at one point or another, all of us were. I don't know about you, but I've used God for my own ends and purposes. Oh, God, bless this, do this, like get on with what I'm doing, God. God, the God of the universe. (laughs) And that's how I approached him. Among so many other things, right? And so Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Living like Jesus is king right now in America in 2021 means learning to love your enemies.